This is In the Word with Malcolm Weber. God comes to us when we're broken. He comes to us when we're weak. And He revives us and He invites us into His deep presence. These are His ways. Welcome to In the Word with Malcolm Weber. In our culture, we value things like confidence, success, wealth, strength, winning. But are these the things that God values? God's ways are not our ways. In ourselves, we strive for strength and power when God desires brokenness. Dr. Weber brings this word of God to us in the second part of his message, Our Brokenness is His Opportunity. Notice the deep humility here, contrite, lowly in spirit. No arrogance here, dear friends. There will be no arrogance in the presence of God. There will be no self-confidence in the presence of God. We understand very clearly there'll be no sin in the presence of God. But we don't usually think through, there will be no arrogance in the presence of God. Those are not His ways. There will be no self-confidence. There will be no bragging in the presence of God except about him, yeah? So brokenness is a very deep thing. It's a very powerful thing. It's not just self-pity, you know, I'm broke, I'm feeling sorry for myself or some sad thing, some emotional, sentimental thing. That's not brokenness. Brokenness is a deep facing of reality. This is the power of brokenness. Facing the reality of your own weakness, the reality of your own true condition. That's brokenness. And then surrendering to God, trusting Him, asking Him for His help. In Luke 18, we have a beautiful picture of true brokenness. Verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. It's a parable the Lord Jesus shares. And He's going to contrast the Pharisee with the tax collector. Let's look at this and see the context. He's feeling the pride, the arrogance, the self-confidence, the strength of the religious leaders around him. And notice the two sides of this. They were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else. Two aspects, right? Big thoughts about yourself, low thoughts, little thoughts about everybody else. And so he told this parable that two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Look at this prayer. What a prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. (laughs) Wow. I mean, we've just been immersing ourselves in brokenness and weakness and poverty of spirit. And then to read this is like you. Shocking, eh? What a prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I hope you've never prayed something like that. (laughs) robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this guy over there. (laughs) Awful. Like this tax collector. Unclean. Thank you, God. I'm not like that. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. That's the first one. What do you see there? What characterizes the Pharisee? Works. He's trusting in his own works. Self-confidence. He believes that his stuff is actually 
impressive to God, really believes this. Pride, look at the stinking pride here. He's very deceived. And in the end, does he go home justified? Nope. He's not saved in the end. Wow, scary. And notice also the religious talk here. I mean, he really thinks this is spiritual stuff. He's delivering this wonderful prayer of thanksgiving here to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Wow. You know, but it's religious sounding, isn't it? He's good at that, the Pharisee. Look at the contempt for others. So he exalts himself, nothing but contempt for others. On the other hand, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's all he did. It's all he had to say. Distance, head down. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That was it. What do you see in him? Humility? Meek? The first guy is just making a speech. Brokenness. And he's facing reality, isn't he? The Pharisee is not. I mean, he's so stupid. This guy, yep, we're like, yep, you're right. He's facing reality. Notice the Pharisee condemning everybody else. Who does this guy condemn? Just himself. He doesn't have time to figure everybody else's sins out. He's like so broken in his own condition, isn't he? The Pharisee's looking to himself. Look, twice a week, fast twice a week, tenth of all, you know, I tithe. Who is this guy looking? What's he looking for, for his salvation? God's mercy. That's it. The beginning and the end of it. And in the end, what happens to him? This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. These are the ways of God, dear friends. For all those who exalt themselves and condemn others, right? Remember, all through, there's the contrast here. So let's add it here. It's implied. Remember, he starts out. He's speaking to those who justify themselves and condemn others. Then we see the Pharisee justifies himself, condemns others. So all those who exalt themselves and condemn others will be humbled But those who humble themselves will in the end be exalted. Wow. So, dear brother, dear sister, don't be like the Pharisee. And let's dig a little into that, shall we? John 3, 16 and 17. Have a look at this. For God so loved. Who did he love? What's the world like? So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the vision of God, the purpose of God, the desire of God, the passion of God. And look at 17. Look at this. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Wow, let that sink in. But that the world through him might be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. The world's already gone, sunk, finished. That's the reality. No point in Jesus coming to point at everybody and say, you're wicked. We already know that. He sent his son into the world to save the world. He looked at sinful people with Love, and he reached out to them. It's what he did. He didn't look at them with contempt and say, Father, I thank you that I'm not like them. 
And dear brother, dear sister, let us be careful that we follow the Lord Jesus today here in our country. Test yourself. When you look at the world, what's your reaction? When you look at the lost, the really badly lost, the obviously lost, around, I mean, everyone's lost outside of Christ, but like the obviously lost, what's your reaction? Is your reaction to say, oh, yuck, huh? Oh, wicked, oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that. You ever said anything close to that? Thought anything like that? Lord, I thank you, come on. Face reality, dear friends. For example, when you see the homosexuals, what's your reaction? Is your reaction, oh, you're bad, you're evil, you're terrible, you're destroying our country? Or do you see someone who Jesus died for and came to save? Which one? Come on, dear brother, dear sister. Let's not slide. This is the way of the world. And it is the way of, sadly, today, many people in the church of the Lord Jesus, in our country today. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he came. And of course he taught truth and he exposed sin. Of course he did. But his purpose was to bring people to truth, that they would be saved. He didn't come to condemn. There are no points for condemning. Just negative ones. Jesus did not send you into the world to condemn the world. He'll judge the world one day. He will. We know he will. He already is. Yeah? In fact, he says those who are in a homosexual lifestyle, they're receiving the judgment even now. They're already condemned. Your calling is to love them as God. There it is. God loved the world. God loves the homosexuals. I'm mentioning the homosexuals because they seem to have such a prominent view in the contempt of much of the evangelical church today. And they should, in fact, have a prominent place in our love. This is the reality, dear friends. This is the word. You're not sent to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He sends you out to save, not to condemn. This is truth. So Jesus here, wow. And as he came to the world, he was the perfect example, actually, of true strength. He was the perfect example of true power, of true wisdom. But you know what? Even though he was so strong, he modeled weakness. Jesus modeled weakness of all things. Look at this, John 5. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Now, it's not so much brokenness in the sense that we come before God broken, you know, in our own understanding of our own sin and all the rest. He didn't have that. But even then, even as perfect humanity, in his humanity, he was weak. And he showed us this, no trust in his own strength, no trust in his own wisdom, apart from continuous dependence on his father. Isn't that spectacular? Jesus came in weakness. Well, if he came in weakness, who are you and I that we're going to be so big and strong and tough and brilliant? Here, second time in the same chapter, 
by myself, I can do nothing. Whoa, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. Who's he listening to? And my judgment is just because I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. His entire life fully, continuously turned to the Father, giving himself to the Father, looking at the Father, trusting the Father, depending on the Father, not on himself. And if there was ever a man who could have trusted in himself, it was him. And he did not ever. Wow. This is the path of weakness. In the end... This is the path of power, true power, God's power, yeah? Wow. And look how God responds to this weakness in the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2, because he embraced weakness, came as a servant, as a man, as in the weakness of humanity, even as a servant, even embraced death, even the death of the cross. Oh, therefore, weakness, 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 God gave him exaltation exalted him to the highest place, name above every name. Wow. Then in the end, every tongue acknowledge Jesus is Lord. This is what God does to those who embrace their weakness, to those who embrace their brokenness. This is the promise of God. And he gives the same promise to us in Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me? You're going to build me a house when heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool? You know, picture that in your mind. You know, God, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. You're going to build me a house? Are you kidding? That's what he's saying. Where will my resting place be? My hand has made all these things and so they came into being. So what are you going to do? You're going to put together some physical building and that's going to be my house? Are you kidding? But then he says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. See, the heavens cannot be sufficient house for me. You're certainly not going to be able to build me a house. But those who are broken, contrite, tremble at my word, guess what? You will be my people. I will be your God. I will come and dwell in you and you will be my house. Wow. That's the promise Fantastic. So here we are where we started. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are the ones he looks for. These are the ones for who he will show himself great. These are the ones. We're so glad you joined us for In the Word with Malcolm Weber, a weekly podcast featuring selected teachings from Dr. Weber's over 40 years of ministry. Find more teachings along with books, courses, tools, and other resources from Dr. Weber at www.leadersource.org. Tune in next week for the first part of Dr. Weber's message, Jesus' First Temptation.